Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you on this Sunday morning. We are in this series, just entering into this series, looking at two things, looking at Christ as He is, and that means seeing all that He is, seeing Him as Christ above all. Now, we've been uh, looking together at the book, and we will continue to look together at the book of Colossians. And uh, we're, we're, we're coming to the book of Colossians, asking uh, God to show us all that we need to see about who Christ is as Paul presents him in that, in that book. Now, we said last time we were together that Jesus' life was so unique, uh, so distinct from every other life that's ever been lived, that those who met him couldn't help but ask this set of questions. Who, who is this? And what does his life mean for me, for us, for the world? Who is this? And what does his life mean? And, and this is the question that those who, who uh, find and discover Jesus in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, they, they come away asking the very same thing. Who is this and what does this life mean? These are the kind of questions that the Apostle Paul answers in his letter to the Colossians. And he does so because he has to. He, uh, he's in a Roman prison, as we've seen. Epaphras, who founded this church comes to him, makes a visit to him in Rome, and shares with him some news about the church at Colossae, a church that uh, uh, Paul had never been in before, had never visited. But Epaphras comes to him and gives him a report, and he says, there's some great things happening at the church at Colossae, some, some wonderful evidences of, of commitment to Christ uh, that you would be really proud of, Paul, if you, if you were there and if you were visiting, it, it, would, it would blow you away. But he said, there is one problem. And that problem is that there have been some new teachers who have come to Colossae and they have brought with them, watch this, a new and improved Jesus with a new and improved gospel and a new and improved hope. A new and improved Jesus with a new and improved gospel and a new and improved hope. And this new and improved Jesus they're offering to the church at Colossae as, watch now, a replacement for the Jesus of the original gospel that you preach, that I preach to them. They're offering effectively a new and improved or a counterfeit Jesus. And this is significant, so significant that the alarm bells go off for Paul and he writes this letter to the Colossians. We've seen and said together that, that Jesus in his coming, because of who he is and, and what he's done on the cross, he, he lived that perfect life, died in the place of sinners, was raised again to show that his death was accepted by the Father. Uh, this same Jesus who ascended to heaven, this Jesus offers, or uh, from him comes a message we call the gospel or the good news, that our sin can be forgiven, that our old lives can be made new, and that we can be restored in relationship to a Father and find purpose and meaning for our 
our lives both here and for eternity. That's part of the gospel. Jesus took our place as sinners, bore our penalty for our sin, our punishment for our sin, so that we would not have to. And out of that gospel then comes the hope of a new life, of a new relationship with God the Father, and of, of a, a life that is, as Jesus puts it, abundant, full, meaningful, all those kinds of things. Every Jesus comes with a gospel, comes with a hope. Every counterfeit Jesus comes with a counterfeit gospel and a counterfeit hope. Now, what I want you to see is that what these teachers were bringing to Colossae was indeed a replacement Jesus. Have you ever noticed how some of the stuff you buy one day, you know, it'll look one way and you go back to the store the next week and, and it says, new look, same great taste. You ever notice that? You ever wonder why they do that? It's because they are daring you to try it again just to see if they're telling the truth. New look, same great taste. Uh, what I want you to see is it, this, isn't the, this isn't a new look with the same great contents. This is a, a new look with a different content. This is a new look with a different content. And every counterfeit Christ that, uh, that we encounter, and we still encounter them today, typically comes with some measure of truth about Christ and some other things thrown in so that effectively it, it is a new look, but not the same great taste. It's a different taste. It's, there's a different content. And that's important. Paul is very, very concerned. Why is he so concerned? Well, because he knows that um, if you receive or you accept or you exchange the real Jesus for a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit gospel, and a counterfeit hope, that at the end of the day, you're going to wind up very disappointed. You're going to wind up spiritually impoverished. And uh, he wants to avoid that. So he's calling the Colossians to remember the Christ that they gave their lives to and that they committed themselves to. Now, this, is, this is significant for us in some um, powerful ways, but I noticed just October 17th, a couple of days ago, that the uh, Pew Research Center, you may be familiar with them, it just Came, come out, has just come out with a study uh, on uh, Christianity and religion in the United States. And what they're finding is that our nation is becoming steadily less and less Christian and that the number of people who have no religion is actually rising. So there's this dramatic decline in America uh, in terms of church attendance, church affiliation, and, and identification with the church. Uh, in 2009, 10 years ago, 77% of Americans said they were uh, or described themselves as Christians. In 2019, 65% of them described themselves as Christians. Um, Americans who say they have no religion have gone from 17% just 10 years ago to 26% uh, here today. So that's one out of every four persons. Now, what I want you to see with me, and this is, this is important, is that one of the major factors contributing to this is that there have been for a long, long time churches that have been preaching and sharing a counterfeit version of Jesus with a counterfeit gospel and a counterfeit hope. 
And so this, the, the counterfeit version of Jesus, if you begin to follow him, and, and there are a number of examples. I don't have time to share them all with you, but uh, I, I mentioned a couple already. Jesus uh, is your cheerleader. You know, you can do anything you want to do. Jesus will help you. Uh, Jesus says to you, the message of the gospel is go you, you, you go you, go you. Jesus is going to help you. So go, go, go. Be yourself. Jesus will help you. Go, go, go. And the hope is that one day you will be everything you were designed to be and everything you want to be and everything you dream you can be because Jesus is behind you and you'll realize all your dreams, your hopes, and your ambitions and, and, um, and that becomes the purpose, the reason for your life. Go you, go you. And uh, so that's a very different version of the Jesus of the New Testament. There are other versions of it. That's one version. But here's what I, I think is happening in the United States. There have been a lot of churches that have preached a kind of counterfeit Jesus, adding parts to the, to, the, to the true Christ, such that the gospel that they've offered to people and the hope that they've offered to people has actually failed a lot of people. And so people are stepping away from the church and stepping away from the Jesus they were given because the go you Jesus, you can do anything you want to do, had no answer for their cancer. He had no answer for their mother's cancer. He had no answer for their father's cancer. He had no answer for the breakup of their marriage. Go you. He's for you. You can be anything you want to be, do anything you want to do. He's failed. And so that Jesus and his gospel and the hope that he's given have been proven to be false hope. And so there are a lot of people who are stepping away. And what is sad and what is tragic is that they're stepping away from the Jesus of the New Testament and the authentic gospel that genuinely saves and transforms and gives a hope that is worth living for and living with. So that's, that is why Paul is writing. And by the way, that, that's one of the reasons why we've launched this uh, Trellis and Vine Resource Center. Uh, there are so many books out there that, that uh, offer themselves as Christian and offer themselves as a means to help us when, when our families need help, when our marriages need help, when our lives need purpose and direction. And, and the reality is you can find them on Amazon. You can find them in some Christian book distributors. But the, the, the reality is that the Jesus that is at the center is not quite the Jesus of the New Testament. And, and one of the things that's been heavy on my heart because I've had so many over the years come to me and say, what do you think about this book? What do you think about this author? What do you think about? What do you think about? And I go, oh, stay away from that one. That's a good one. Run, run. I'm sorry you just spent $24.95, but Run. Run. One of the reasons why, I, because I, I wanted in this day and age where there are so many versions of Jesus that are out there and uh, so many counterfeit versions that I wanted to, to at least give you a place where you, you, you are able to say, you know what? I need to know more about theology. You know what? I, I, I need to have an answer for the reason, for the hope that I have. And I don't know, where do I get that? Uh, I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling in my marriage. And, and I want biblical answers. I want Christ-centered answers. I want New Testament Christ-centered answers. I, I want to be able to say, 
All right, here's a place to start. And, and quite frankly, I don't care. You find a book you like and you go order it on Amazon, that's fine with me. You want to help Jeff Bezos? He's poor. He's struggling. He needs you to buy his books. If that's what you want to do. That's fine. Just, just know that we're going to, the, the, the cost of those resources will always be at a minimum. And any profit that we get, we're either going to give to evangelical partners like uh, the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission and so forth, or we're going to just plow back into buying more books. We're not into making money here. We're into providing a resource. But I want you to be able to walk in there and say, okay, pastor has vetted this book. I can trust it. I can trust it. This will help me. And so uh, we want to make that available to you. And uh, as you go through all kinds of seasons of life, I want it to be there. And, uh, you know, if, you, if your mission is to help Jeff, then help Jeff. And while you're helping him, um, read the book you order. Because it'll be solid. It will, it, will, it will bless your life, I believe, with all my heart. But there is only one authentic Jesus, one authentic gospel, one hope coming from that Jesus that can give us reasons to live with confidence and comfort. And uh, these are things that can't be improved on. And so Paul writes, and he wants three things for the Colossians. He wants them to see the difference between the Christ they've put their faith in and this new and improved Christ they're being offered. He wants them to remember who the original Jesus is and what his life means for them and for the world. And he wants them to stay loyal, devoted to the real Jesus and give him the devotion that he deserves. And quite frankly, that's what I want for you and for me. That's what I want for us. I want you to know the answer to that very practical question that that, that comes out of this for those who are believers. And that is, after I've put my faith in Christ, just how do I live and stay faithful or devoted to him? Once I've received the authentic Christ and, uh, and I'm learning to discern the authentic Christ from others, how do I stay faithful? Once I have faith, how do I stay faithful to this Christ? I would say uh, uh, without any hesitation that every follower of Jesus has faced this and, and probably faces this on a regular basis. You know what Christ has called you to. You see how you're living and, and so often it doesn't match up and it really bothers believers. It really bothers me. I, I'm sure it really bothers you. You know he's called you to more and, and you know that he's, he's empowering you to do more and that what he calls you to do, he's going to equip you to do. And so the question becomes, why am I not doing it? Why am I not doing it? Why, why am I not doing it? After I've put my uh, faith in Christ, how do I live and stay faithful or devoted to him? That's a special spelling of I've. I want you to notice that. Very special spelling. After I've put my faith, I've. Very special. Only a few people know what it means. Just wanted you to notice that in case you didn't. All of you who are detailed and obsessive compulsive, it's driving you crazy. Some of you are going, what? That's misspelled? I've seen that before. <laughs> to I've, of course. <laughs> to I've got to go to the store. 
So I've got to continue with my message. Okay, let's move on. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7 is going to be our passage for the morning. And that's page 983 in the worship Bibles that you will find either, either, either underneath your seat or underneath the seat in front of you if you're at Clemens or uh, if you are at Sherwood Forest, those Bibles are available to you at the entrance to the worship center. And by the way, we are glad you're here, Sherwood Forest. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Let's read that together. Let's take a look at this. Paul says, we always, writing to the Colossians, opening of his letter, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The, the message of the gospel is a message of the grace of God. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He, he has been faithful to you. He presented to you the true Jesus, the true gospel, and the true hope that comes from that gospel and from that Christ. Now, today I want to talk with you about the devotion that Christ deserves and what this devotion or what this faithfulness needs to remain in your life. This is vital not only because there are a number of counterfeit Christs out there being offered to us, but also because of the recurring issues for so many generations of believers, and that is the issue I raised, the faith we profess doesn't always produce the faithfulness that Christ deserves. And so with this passage before us, we're asking this amazing question. Hey, hey, it got fixed. I know you're disappointed. After I've put my faith in Christ, how do I live and stay faithful or devoted to him? Now, Paul unpacks an answer to this in three ways in verses one through nine. He shows us what faithfulness is. He shows us what faithfulness needs. And then finally, he shows us how faithfulness remains. And I want us to be looking today at the second point of what faithfulness needs as we make our way through this passage. Now, the last time we were together, we looked at what faithfulness is. And uh, we saw that in these opening words to the Colossians, Paul shows us that faithfulness to Christ consists of more than just faith uh, in Christ, that every person who begins with Christ begins with faith in the, the, uh, the Christ who lived for them, died for them, and, and has been raised. But, but just having faith in that Christ is not the essence of faithfulness. After you've come to faith in Christ, you're called to live 
without that faith. And the issue becomes, what does that look like? Well, Paul gives us an, a beautiful description of what faithfulness coming out of faith actually looks like. He describes it in two ways. We saw this the last time we were together. It looks, first of all, like loyalty or devotion to Christ that is greater than our loyalty or our devotion to ourselves. And faithfulness includes a love for the people of Christ, the people of God, a love for the church that is, uh, and, and a willingness to sacrifice for others greater than a willingness to be served by others. It is a sacrificial kind of love. Now, this is important. I want you to see this. Paul says faithfulness looks like this, a loyalty to Christ that exceeds our loyalty to ourselves, a love for others that exceeds our love for ourselves, a faithfulness to Christ that, that includes a loyalty to Christ greater than our loyalty to ourselves so that practically speaking, we learn as we live our lives on the basis of this foundation of faith in Christ, we begin to learn to live our lives, watch now, saying yes to Christ in distinction to uh, ourselves. So that I'm learning to say more and more yes to Christ, no to Steve. Yes to Christ, no to Steve. Yes to Christ, no to Steve. Yes to what he wants. Yes to what he aspires for in my life. And no to what I want and no to what I aspire for. Yes to what he says is right and good in every situation. And no to what I feel like is right and good in every situation. And you know what I've discovered? I don't know what you've discovered about you, but I, what I've discovered about me is that Steve alone, has a very different definition of what is right and good from Jesus alone. Have you noticed that? There are certain things that just feel right in the heat of the moment, feel righteous and just, and you do it. And then you wish you hadn't done it. And then as a believer, you realize, oh no, that isn't what Christ called me to. Part of this uh, faithfulness is learning as a rhythm of life to say yes to Christ and no to myself. But it's also learning to love those who are God's people more than I love myself. It, it, it's, it's a powerful, powerful uh, practice. And this is one of those reasons why small groups, life groups are so very, very important in the life of a believer it's, it's, in those, it's in those smaller groups that you actually have the opportunity to truly love others more than you love yourself. You have an opportunity to love that person whose father has died, whose mother has died. You have the opportunity to care for them uh, in, 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 because you're close to them. You, you have the opportunity to be cared for by them when you find yourself in the hospital or you're going through a downtime, you've lost your job. Suddenly you discover that you have people around you who love you, who are committed to you and who will actually sacrifice themselves for your good. It's one of the reasons why life groups are so critical in the life of a believer. Why? Because it is virtually impossible to be loyal to Christ and disloyal to yourself and 
to be loving others more than you love yourself if all you do with the body of Christ, for example, is worship. I mean, the best thing you can do if, you, if all you do is come to worship, the best thing you can do when you walk in is say, well, hey, that guy's in my seat. But because I love Jesus, I'm going to sacrifice. And instead of sitting in my seat or asking them to move, because they obviously don't know whose seat that is, these new people, I'm going to be loving and kind to them by sitting in somebody else's seat, which is only going to cause greater problems. But that's what I'm going to do. You see, part of, part of what Paul is teaching us is that faithfulness is actually anchored in something more than what we typically think it is. That faithfulness involves being more loyal to Christ than we are to ourselves, of loving the church and its people more than we love ourselves, but that it is actually motivated by something other than what most of us think it is. Many of us who have come to faith in Christ, who want to be faithful to him, we tend to say, you know what, if I'm going to be faithful, then I've just got to try harder. I've got to try harder. I've got to do more. And so I'm going to say yes to Jesus and no to myself. And I'm going to keep trying that harder. And yeah, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll join a small group. And when your dad passes away, I'll bring you a casserole and I'll go, here, here's a casserole. I notice your grass needs to be mowed. Can I mow it? You know what people say about you? They say, well, you know, they're trying to love Jesus. They're trying to love him. This is pretty tough, this faithfulness thing for them. That never works. And a lot of us have failed in our faithfulness because we thought that's how we actually get there. So how do we get there? How do we get there? What does faithfulness need to actually be present in our lives? I want us to dig down deep and look at verses three through seven today and find an answer to that question. How do I live staying faithful or devoted to Christ? How do I live being loyal to him and not loyal to myself and loving others in the body of Christ more than I love myself? I want you to notice in verses uh, five through seven that we find Paul giving reasons to the Colossians for his thanksgiving for them, coming from the reports that he's received from Epaphras about them. And as he does, he actually shows us something very unexpected. He shows us that living with true faithfulness, living with loyalty to Christ alone and the love for the church of Christ actually comes from one place. Do you see it in verse five? It actually comes from something called hope. Paul says, every time we pray for you, we thank God the Father for the loyalty and the love that are present in you, verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope, Paul says, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you since the day you heard it and came to faith and understood the grace of God in Christ. It has borne fruit in you, the fruit of loyalty and love, and it's anchored in hope is what he is saying. Now, now, I want you to notice with me the presence of faithfulness to Christ in their lives rests plainly on hope and, and on a hope of a specific kind. He says, it is the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Look at that carefully with me. The hope that Paul refers to here, first of all, isn't an action, but rather an object. It isn't something that you do, but it is something you're looking forward to with confidence. My wife has gone, with, uh, gone to be with our grandsons uh, this weekend, and uh, I'm missing her. And so my hope is that I will see her. I will see her. My hope is Cheryl. That's my hope for today. That's my hope. I want, to see, I want to see that she makes it back safely. That's my hope. My hope is not something I'm doing, but it is something that I'm looking for, something that I'm looking forward to with a measure of confidence. Notice the location of this hope. It is heaven. It is where God dwells. Notice the status of this hope as well. The status is that it is untouchable. It is, Paul says, laid up for you, meaning it is protected. It can't be touched. It can't be taken from you. So the faithfulness, the Colossians show to Christ, their devoted living to him is anchored in rest, not in their trying harder, but in their hope, in the object of their hope. And what this hope laid up for heaven is, is something Peter describes more fully in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Let me read that for you. Peter writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the living dead to an inheritance, he says, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, protected for you who by God's power are being guided through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He's simply saying, listen, 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 here we go, here we go. Salvation is past, it is present, it is future. It is past because you have received Christ and you belong to him. It is present because God is preserving and protecting your new relationship with him. No one can take it away. It is in God's hands and it is future because something is going to happen to you and to others who belong in Christ such that the good work God started when you placed your faith in him becomes a fully completed work. In this, this salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire of present realities, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, Peter says, revelation of Jesus Christ, at the appearing. Do you know what he's talking about? Who is our living hope? Jesus. Our living hope is an event that brings to us a person. One day, Peter says, and, and the, the, the salvation that was begun when, when the gospel was received, that salvation that is protected is going to be completed. All of the work that God is doing in you right now is going to be brought to a completion so that in the end, you look like Jesus. I got to tell you, I can't wait to see what Steve Kortz looks like on that final day. I know what he looks like now. I know how much work he needs, but I have the promise that one day I'm going to get to see me like God meant for me to be. And by the way, I can't wait to see you either. And what all of that means is that I'm able to go through difficult times now because of the hope I have in what is coming and who is coming for me later. My hope is not anchored in what people think. My hope is not anchored in how much money I make. My hope is not anchored in my, my 401k or my 403b. My hope is not anchored in, in uh, how far I can climb. My hope is not anchored in the square footage of my house. My hope is not anchored in whether I have a spouse or not. My hope is not anchored in whether I feel deeply loved. My hope is not anchored in anything except one event that is going to bring to me the person whose love and acceptance I need most of all. And the day is coming when I will experience him to the fall because I know what's coming to me. I can stand what's happening to me. Because I know who's coming for me. Watch this. And because I know what he's done for me. I'm able to say yes to him out of gratitude and no to myself. And I'm able to love you. I don't have to live clutching at things. I can actually live a simpler life, a more focused life. And when your dad passes away, I can bring you a casserole gladly. And I can look at you and say, how are you doing? And really mean it. I, I can say to you, hey, I, I notice your, your yard's, uh, you know, getting a little high. Would you mind if I brought my lawnmower over and I mowed it for you? 
is there anything else that I can do for you? Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. I, I've got a job and a family. I, I know, and I appreciate you thinking about that, but here's the reality. My family and I deeply love your family and you. And, and, and we're here for you in this time of your loss because we don't have to hang on to our time. We don't have to hang on to our money. We don't have to be selfish with our lawnmowers or our casserole dishes. If you don't bring it back, we're not going to go, you know, sideways. Do you see what I'm saying? Life is radically different when your hope is in Christ. And that's why having a life group where you're actually doing life with people, messy people, imperfect people, is so very important. You need them and they need you. You need them because they teach you how to love like Jesus. They need you because you will teach them how to love like Jesus. But being in close proximity with other believers and having to work through stuff, you actually grow strong in your faithfulness. So it's never enough just to put your faith in Christ. Yes, you're saved, but out of that faith should come faithfulness, a faithfulness that rests in hope, a liberating, freeing, simplifying hope. So let me see if I can put all of this together for you. Hope has to do with direction. Hope has to do with where things and life are headed. Hope has to do with what we can expect in and expect from the future. Hope answers the questions, what does the future hold? Why am I here? Where is my life going? And the reality is, if you know the why and the where of your life in terms of its direction, if you have purpose anchored in a positive future, you can bear anything you face in the present. And so hope is something we all need, something we all have to have. Today is no exception. The threat of nuclear destruction, the threat of ecological disaster make us wonder about our futures. I was talking with um, uh, a young couple the other day, and, and, I, and I said, all right, tell me about, about uh, what your generation hopes for. And it was so fascinating to me. I mean, they're in their 20s. And, 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 and they said, well, I, they thought about it for a while, and then they said, well, I think that what we hope for are experiences. And I said, well, tell me more about that. It's like trips and, and doing new things and experiencing new things. That's our hope. And I said... Wow, really? You say, yeah, it's that next vacation. It's that next trip. It's always an experience. It's that next event. It's, it, that's, that's where our hope is. And it struck me that the need for hope is greater than ever because 
whether your hope is in money or in people or the next big experience, none of those things, none of those things are actually going to give you meaning and purpose when life falls apart. What happens when you've maxed your credit cards out and you can't go on another trip? What happens when you go and the experience isn't what you thought it was? Every generation has got its own false hopes. It's not just people in their 20s, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Everybody's got hopes that get us up in the morning and, and cause us to live trying to move forward, but here's the thing. Any hope other than Jesus is going to leave us impoverished and disappointed. So those 50 and 60-year-olds who are, who are resting in their 401Ks, don't put your hope there. It can be gone in a blink of an eye. For those of us who are putting our hope in, in, our, in our relationships, let me just gently remind you that people don't last. Virtually anything you can think of that you would put your hope in to give you the motivation, the confidence to keep living today because of what you, you trust will bring you a better tomorrow, if it's anything other than Jesus, it's going to leave you impoverished and it's going to leave you disappointed. And I know one thing from my own personal walk with Christ. Whenever I have been a man who has come to faith but who has not been living faithful, where my faith has not been uh, acted out in faithfulness, inevitably what I've discovered is that it is because my hope has shifted to something less than Jesus. I have come to depend on something else to satisfy the hunger of my heart. And as soon as I start doing that, guess what I start doing? I start saying yes to Steve and no to Jesus. I start loving myself more than I love you. I stop sacrificing for you and I start sacrificing for myself when my hope becomes anything other than Jesus. Followers of Jesus know some things. Followers of Jesus know that because of who he is and what he's done, they can live with comfort and assurance now about tomorrow. Believers know that death is real, that death is coming for all, that death brings consequences. Believers know that death brings either a curse or a blessing. Believers know that for unbelievers, it's a curse, it's a penalty, it is an enemy to be feared. But, but for them, for believers, it, it is just as real. They know they're going to die, but they know the curse is gone. 
They know that Jesus has become a curse for them by dying on the cross, and though they still die, they don't experience its penalty, but rather they experience something far better. They experience Christ's presence. They know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Believers know that when Jesus comes again, he's going to come personally and he's going to come bodily and visibly and he's going to come unexpectedly and triumphantly. He's going to come with power and great glory. He's going to gather all of his people together. He, they know that those who have died and, and, uh, 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 and are no longer alive when he comes will be resurrected, will be raised from the dead. They know that those who remain will be gathered up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They know that believers they've known and loved, they will see again. They know that eventually this Jesus who is coming again is going to take his place on the throne of the universe and will judge all the nations finally and forever. They know that the one who was falsely judged at the end of his life will be the judge of all at the end of time. The enduring loyalty to Christ and that persistent love for his people that mark a faithful life are powered by hope in this living Christ who is himself reserved, kept in heaven for them. This Christ who one day is going to complete what he has started in them. They know that faith in Christ alone is meant to bring a hope in Christ alone. And they know that hope in Christ alone is what brings faithfulness to Christ alone. And so in answer to our question, after I've put my faith in Christ, how do I live and stay faithful or devoted to him? The answer is a living hope in Christ brings a lasting faithfulness or devotion to Christ. It is a living hope. And until Jesus becomes my true hope, I will always struggle with saying yes to him when I want to say yes to myself. And I will always struggle in loving you like I should love you. But if Jesus is my hope, that struggle becomes a winnable struggle. In the body of Christ, I know the same Jesus who is working in me is also working in you. And that means no matter what you do to me, I don't give up on you. Because I, I've got my eye on the end while I'm living here in the middle. And because I've got my eye on the end while I'm living here in the middle, I can love my wife as Christ loves the church I can respect my husband. I can, I can take good care and lead my children. But in the body of Christ, I can mow yards. I can bring casseroles. 
I can come alongside a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, what's going on with you? Something doesn't seem right. And love them enough to speak into their lives when there's sin presence and be loved enough for them to speak into my life when sin is present. I don't live my life loyally and with love for Christ because I want to be rewarded with him. I live my life and seek to be loyal, loyal to him because he is already my reward. That leads me to a question. In all honesty, in all truthfulness, what are you living? What are you really living for? Where is your true hope, resting. Is it in the acceptance of others? Is it in your accomplishments and what you can do? Is it in your bank account? What it is, what it might be one day? Is it in what your children can one day be or do? Is it, is it what your, your marriage might one day become? Where is your hope? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that motivates you? What is it that moves you? What is it, what is it that you reach for when life suddenly isn't going the way you planned? Where do you find yourself running when discouragement comes, when you've lost someone you love, when the doctor has, has a diagnosis for you you didn't expect? Where do you turn? Where do you think you would turn? What are you trusting in to see you through? If it is anything, anything other than The living hope of Jesus Christ coming again. Then you're living set up for impoverishment or disappointment. It'll be hard for you to see how your marriage is going to make it. It's going to be hard for you to see how your kids are ever going to survive in this world. You'll look at the future and you'll think we're doomed and you'll want to give up and you'll want to give in. If you're not careful, you will forget the Christ 
who on the cross refused to give up and refused to give in for you. One final question. What is it that if you lost it would feel like your life had ended? Whatever that is, that is your hope. If it's not Jesus, you're heading for a life of disaster. I know that every person who is right now at Sherwood Forest, I know that every person who is right now at Clement is a person who desperately needs hope. And I know with every service that we host today on both campuses, I know there are people who today are struggling because they're losing hope. Something has come into your life that is greater than you are. Something has come into your life that is painful and hard. You did not expect it. You do not want it, but there it is. And you are feeling disappointed maybe with God You're feeling as if there's no point to moving on. And some of you are followers of Jesus. Some of you are not. But the answer for you is still the same. It's a faith in the Son of God who defeated death and hell and the grave, who lives today, who loves broken people, and who one day is coming again for those who are His to finish the good work He started. And for some people here today or at Sherwood Forest, today is your day to give your life to Jesus Christ and to invite him to begin that good work in you of restoring and healing your life, forgiving you of your sin. Today is your day for him to begin the work that only he can do to make you more like himself, and to give you a living, vibrant relationship with his Father. You've tried everything else. You've put your hope in a lot of places. This living hope will not fail you, and I invite you today to come to Jesus. 
Some of you are believers and you're realizing that right now if you lost this or you lost that, you would be devastated because whatever it is you're fearing that you would lose is not Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do something both here at Clemens and at Sherwood Forest. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to confess that we can't go back to the beginning. We're going to confess that we don't know where the future is going. We're going to confess that this life is more than we are. And I'm going to invite followers of Jesus who need to bring their false hopes to come right where they are as they are and lay them down. And here in this place, take up the living hope that is Christ again and say to him, Lord Jesus, my faith, my trust, I give again to you. For others who would give their lives to Christ, we will have men and women here who will be ready to pray with you. Maybe you've gotten news and you're, you're struggling with your hope, news that isn't good and you'd like for somebody to pray with you. We'll have men and women here to pray with you as well that you will find your comfort and your assurance for the first time or again in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together all across both campuses, all across both campuses. And Father God, move among your people is my prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.